Welcome to the Road Less Traveled listeners. I am your host, DB, and today's episode will be focused on the topic of proximate cause. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, um, it's a pretty, pretty easy term to understand, so I'll just give you the actual definition real quick before we get into this episode. But proximate cause is, or otherwise known as legal cause, is the underlying cause of an accident. And the example that they give, if you Google this, is say a truck driver swerves and they hit a car, that would be the truck's fault. However, if they were, for example, trying to avoid a bicyclist or another motor vehicle that was uh, doing either something illegal or were in a place where they shouldn't have been, i.e. the road itself, uh, if they were swerving to avoid somebody that shouldn't have been doing something, then that person, the bicyclist or what have you, they are the proximate cause of that accident. They are actually the ones responsible for that. Now, it gets a little uh, muddied at times because it seems that it's hard to figure out maybe what caused something to happen. And so before we get too deep into this, um, I did want to preface that I will be bringing up a couple examples that are fairly topical because they are the headlines that are in some news. They are not DUI related, uh, not specifically, so it's not, they were not driving, at least in some of these instances. Uh, But I did want to relate it to my circumstance just to kind of show how we as a society look at the law and also just how we try to explain away things. Now, after the fact, it's a big who's to blame type situation because most people don't automatically take responsibility for either their actions or the circumstance or even the accident. If something happened that was completely by accident, like people might feel sorry, uh, they might feel remorse, but uh, quite often they don't accept responsibility and fault and responsibility can be two very different things. For example, I was both at fault and responsible for the accident that I caused. Now, the previous example of, say, a truck driver avoids a bicyclist, they are responsible for what happened. They they might not be at fault, but they still will have to deal with all the consequences that come out of that. Hopefully, they can prove that they're innocent, but they will have to you know, navigate all of those things that come with that. So there's a difference between fault and responsibility. The fault at this point would lie with the uh, bicyclist that caused the accident, but it would be the truck driver's responsibility to both, you know, uh, prove their innocence. And then who knows, maybe the bicyclist in this scenario, uh, you know, they're not involved in the accident. They were avoided. So they just, what, continue pedaling on their way? Well, now it's your responsibility to track that person down because they are at fault. So that's where there's two distinctions in that uh, fault and responsibility of a fairly minute distinction, uh, but it is important. So I did mention that I am both at fault and responsible for the car accident that I caused. And if for some reason you're jumping into this episode, we're up to what, like, this is the core episode, so it's like the 15th main episode and i know i got a couple uh, little special episodes floating around there Uh, but if you're just jumping in i encourage you to go uh, listen to the introduction it will explain what this podcast is about Uh, for returning listeners thank you for coming in 
Now, um, let's jump into the first example that I got here. Now, this one is a very interesting case of proximate cause because uh, it's, I don't know, it's actually just set a legal precedent. So you might have seen in the news, I mean, there's so many different things going on, but the mass shooting at Oxford uh, High School, this was back in 2021, the uh person that did the shooting he was a uh, a juvenile at the time i think he was 15 uh, his name was ethan crumbly he has been sentenced to life without the possibility of parole for the killing of four uh people that were all teenagers it's just absolutely tragic um but the mother of ethan crumbly uh jennifer crumbly she just today was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter now, I don't know what the state um, laws or statutes or whatever they have in that uh, state that she's in. I don't know what the penalty of involuntary manslaughter can carry, either the minimum or the maximum terms. I do know that in the state that I'm in, involuntary manslaughter carries anywhere between a one to 10 year sentence. A 10 years being the maximum we use in determinate sentencing where I happen to be. So that would just be, uh, she would probably serve at a minimum like three years and then she would be up for parole. Uh, and the reason why this got argued back and forth and actually she was found guilty was due to uh, one, the mental health of her child, uh, her son. Uh, he had, I guess, been uh, seeing demons and had been uh, like talking to his parents saying like, you know, he had a few issues, although they say uh, they, tried to refute that saying that that was not true although they went back into text messages and whatnot and found out uh, that the mom yes had been lying and that her son eight months prior had claimed to seeing things around the house and so for some odd reason they bought him a gun uh and, which you know you can train somebody to be responsible for firearm safety and all those things that's wonderful that's great but that doesn't mean that in a time of crisis or in a time of need or mental health or in a low point in your life where that tool that you were trained to use to defend and protect and to help that same tool can be used as a weapon so it's not necessarily just the education on that but it's also the focus should have been on his well-being not in firearm safety like that's the weird thing about the debate it's always we should regulate firearms we should do this and to a degree, I, you know, I see the logic in that, but that's not to count all the times no one gets shot. You know, there's millions upon millions of gun owners, and there's probably way more guns than gun owners out there. And those guns aren't just going off killing people, and a majority of society isn't going out and shooting people either. We have extreme instances where people who are unwell take matters into their own hands. So that's where the focus should be. And we can now see in this lawsuit or this um, this case that it wasn't just the firearm safety. Like the kid was trained by his dad. He was taken to a range where everything was properly done. The gun itself uh, was bought under legal means. So let's exclude all of those extra things. Uh, the school reported that uh, he had 
uh, drawn some violent pictures that day. He made a few uh, possibly threatening statements, uh, th- statements that were concerning. And so the parents got called into school that day, shown the picture of the kid with a gun and in this uh, drawing or whatever. And they made no mention of the fact that he had a gun. They had made no mention of the fact that eight months prior, he had been uh, seeing and hearing things. And uh, they just they just left. And two hours later, there was a school shooting. So... Here is the question, which everyone is debating, because the mom and the dad have not taken responsibility for their son's actions. They have been found at fault, but they do not take responsibility. They have claimed that they are innocent. Now this woman has been found guilty. The husband is going on trial. I believe it was March or May, but it, that his thing's coming up. And so the question is, who or what is the proximate cause? Was it the fact that they bought him the gun? Was it the fact that they weren't attentive to their child's uh, welfare? Was it that day, right when they were shown something that was disconcerting? Was that the proximate cause right then when they said, we're going to go about our day? Now, that's just that's up for debate. And that's what the focus of the trial was. There were so many different instances where people were trying to point out that this was the case, this was the case, this was the moment. And it was just, you know, a tragedy has already occurred. It's absolutely terrible. So it was be interesting because you've never seen, to my knowledge, or heard, again, to my knowledge, uh, any of these shootings or um, killings or some major horrible tragic event, like, say, a serial killer or what have you, I've never heard the parents come out and say, you know what? We fucked up. That's on us. We we knew he was quiet. We knew he was weird or we knew he had issues or, we, or she. You know, we can throw that out there. Women are equals, too. You guys can kill just as much. So... I've never heard anyone actually like accept responsibility and say, you know what? It was my fault. I should have been a better parent. You never hear that ever. <laughs> Maybe now you weirdly you will though, because now this, this case has set a precedent that you can now be held legally responsible for your child and their actions, which is, I believe to a degree, right. I believe to a degree that is correct. Um, But it's going to bring up so many questions and it's going to bring up so many legal issues because at what point does it change? Right when they go from 17 to 18, bam, you're an adult now. You're completely responsible. Now, it's weird because in our society, we assign an arbitrary number. Perfect. 18, you're an adult. Can't smoke, can't drink. But when you're 21, you're kind of more of an adult can't rent a car well you're a little more of an adult at 25 and it's just like it doesn't make sense we have these arbitrary milestones and it just it's odd to me there is no actual point when you're an adult because i've met adults who act like children and i've met children who have a maturity well beyond their years so it's kind of hard to navigate as a society when every one of us is on a slightly different page. We don't all develop at the exact same speed. So there isn't one standard way of uh, evaluating everybody. 
which is unfortunately what we keep trying to do. We keep trying to push people into a mold and say, this is how it is. Uh, so it's a much more complex issue than we were first aware of. Now, the proximate cause, let's go a little further. Uh, this isn't a, a news story, but this is just my own question for you. So if I go to a bar, for example, and I'm already drunk, say I show up to that bar drunk and I ask for more drinks and the bartender identifies me as having been intoxicated and they're like, well, I probably shouldn't serve this dude, but eh, you know, what? what's one more drink? So I get one more drink. I tip well, okay, well, whatever the money's coming in, they're going to keep feeding me alcohol. I go out, I get in an accident. Who is responsible? Who has the proximate cause in that instance? Is it me for drinking beforehand or is it for showing up in an establishment where they have certifications like uh, TAM cards or alcohol awareness cards or whatever your state carries? You have been trained. You've taken classes. You are now supposed to be a professional or a quote-unquote expert. And you are the one that is serving me the thing that is going to inebriate me, make me have poor judgment, is going to take me out of my element, is going to make me not in my right frame of mind, and then I will then get in a car thinking, hey, I can do this. Is it now my fault still, or is it the bartender's? Who's responsible? Who's at fault? Now, the state, or at least mine, and it would be hard to prove the overserving of alcohol um, to a degree, but it is uh, the bartender's fault, which is kind of strange to me. I mean, because the same token on the other side of that coin, I could show up to that bar. I could be completely like fine, you know, not had any drinks. I drink too much, but because the alcohol hasn't hit me, I'm still looking and appearing sober. But after I leave, that's when it catches up to me. Again, whose fault? It's not like the bartender knows my tolerance. So it's a gray area. It's a really rough position if worse comes to worse. So let me uh, switch on over just a little bit because we're getting into, again, gray territory here. Now, this one, I don't know, this one's at least a little more in line with the DUI one. So, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen this article, but I'm just going to read the headline. Girlfriend stabs boyfriend 108 times in marijuana-induced episode. So, um... Yeah, that one's kind of hard to navigate. So this one happened back in 2018. She has spent about five years uh, fighting this case and has just uh, recently been exonerated, right? She's been given probation, actually. So she's not going to serve any time. She's, she's given a two-year probation period where she just doesn't need to get in trouble, which is pretty easy um, for most people, like if you haven't been breaking the law before some major event, it's so easy to be like, okay, for two years. It's not easy for a lot of people, but I think this one, she'll be okay. All she has to do is not fucking murder somebody for the next two years. And her name uh, is Bryn, can't pronounce the last name. You guys can look it up yourselves if you want. Um, 
they said it had a high THC count and that right after she went into some apparently like psychotic episode where she the only thing that she could do was like thinking that her boyfriend was attacking her she wasn't obviously in her right frame of mind now because of that um it's just the strange thing is so here here's where uh it keeps getting uh I don't know. They're kind of setting a little precedent here, too. So her, uh, excuse me, her lawyers were asked to describe the difference in her case and a fatal drunken driving crash. And then um, they said that she did not know what she was getting herself into because the um, there was no warnings on the label of the weed. No warnings what that this will possibly cause you to have a, a disassociation from reality. I don't think we need those types of warnings on there because people understand, like, if you smoke too much weed, you're going to either, like, you're going to possibly fall asleep, depending on the strain. Like, you could pass out. You could be um, sick, nauseated. You could be any one of these things where you, again, are out of your element. So if she had gotten in a car high and gotten in a car crash, DUI. If she had killed somebody, DUI resulting in death. So we understand that you are intoxicated or inebriated or whatever you want to say. There's something that is affecting you and taking you out of your element. It's making you act differently, see things differently. Your reactions are dulled. So there isn't a difference between that. Like you don't need a fucking warning label for every single thing. The people that choke on some random thing that they put in their mouth or say, hey, their kid died <laughs> because, I don't know, I left a bunch of small pieces on the floor, like a bottle cap or what have you. They, again, fault and responsibility, want to blame the company that made that product rather than just say, you know what? I was a terrible parent. Maybe I should have been watching my baby. We don't need warning labels on everything. People that are eating Tide Pods as part of some fucking, I don't know what it is, trend. Don't need a warning label on that. We already had a warning label. It was like not safe for human consumption. So who's to blame? Is it the parents for that one or the kid? And I want to say a little bit of both. It's not something I would have ever thought to have to do because I'm not a parent yet. But I, as a child, never looked at something that wasn't food and said, maybe I should eat that. I think it's a lack of education. <laughs> and then maybe there's something in the water wherever you guys are living. Because <laughs> it's making people do some really silly things these days. Like, people are making decisions that, like, who could have anticipated something like that? Now, this case, to me, just seems like... I don't know. It just, it seems like they failed. Because this isn't, there's no justice for the man that was murdered. And then this woman, like, doesn't have any real repercussions other than five years of stigma trying to get through that. Which, maybe that's enough. I don't know. I don't have an answer for this. I'm just bringing up questions. Uh, but the lawyer went on to say, so as far as a DUI is concerned, that person knowingly and consciously drinks to excess and decides to get behind the wheel, which I'm going to just cut that fucking idiot off right there. 
That is a lie. That is a nonsensical statement. That sentence has no basis in reality at all. It sounds good, kind of, a little bit, but not great. Because if you even just think for just a moment, have you ever drank? You ever had a beer? You ever had a shot? Have you ever drank a little too much? Maybe you kissed somebody that you shouldn't have. Maybe you had sex with somebody you shouldn't have. Or maybe you just embarrassed yourself by doing something you shouldn't have. But at the time, man, it seemed like a great idea. Seemed like a wonderful idea, right? But you didn't really knowingly do it. You kind of just went with it, right? Like, maybe subconsciously... It lowers our inhibitions. Maybe that stuff was always there. But eh, that's just simplifying things. Because I know there's no one subconsciously or with lowered inhibitions thinking, hey, it'd be fun to drive recklessly and possibly kill somebody. Okay, Mr. Lawyer person, why the fuck would you say that someone who drinks to excess consciously gets behind a wheel? If you drink to excess, one, we already know that your logic and also reasoning skills have been lowered. That is a fact. That is a scientific fact. We also understand and know, again, based on science, that if you drink too much, you can actually black out. You're on autopilot. You're not in your right frame of mind. The body is going, but there's no one home. Stuff's just happening. Terrifying. Guess what? Because of that blackout, you are not consciously doing anything. So, people that drink to excess, apparently they're doing it consciously. Apparently they're getting drunk. Just for the hell of it. Because they love drinking beyond what they should. And that's, again, not true. That it was an oversimplification and somehow... Somehow that lawyer was able to slip a few nonsensical statements in and everyone was like, you're right. Absolutely right. So, there doesn't need to be consistency in the law. This is just a separate case in a different state. It is not, uh, it doesn't have any bearing possibly on the entire country, although maybe it will. I wouldn't be surprised to see if she's civilly sued. I wouldn't even be surprised if this was turned over somehow, you know, and she gets a different charge. I don't know. They can't get her for double jeopardy, so they probably can't go after her for murder. But wrongful death, maybe? I don't know. It's a, it's a more complex issue than what I am uh, able to figure out. Because the way they started acting about DUIs in her case, they're trying to make it seem like it is a completely separate thing. That what happened to her was a one-off. However, it's been happening to DUIers all the time. We understand, based off your blood alcohol content, or BAC, that there is a level of where you drink too much, and we, without a shadow of a doubt, can say you were blacked out. You were unable to make decisions. You were unable to, to not do what you did. Which then goes back to proximate cause was for me specifically the proximate cause the fact that I drank too much alcohol one night without eating dinner and it all hit me at once causing me to black out I had I, I drank in excess of like eight plus shots of vodka within like a 10 minute time frame and that was 
as much as my memory can remember because the rest was blacked out. Or was the proximate cause my mental health and depression that I was going through due to a toxic relationship? I don't know. That one, possibly. That could be what set me down the path to drinking. However, I will claim full responsibility and I am 100% at fault. It doesn't honestly matter what the proximate cause is because the fault lies with me. I fucked up. I can never take that back. I deserved what happened to me. I deserve far worse, actually. And that's what I'm still trying to cope with. So, to all the different cases that are going on right now, and I, it's going to be a never-ending thing. I mean, once the genie's out of the bottle, you can't put him back in. Unless you haven't used up all your wishes, apparently. I know that's a stupid saying. <laughs> well, I guess we'll go with Pandora's box. Can't do that one either. But you're going to keep hearing cases like this. And you're going to keep seeing inconsistencies. And you're going to keep seeing people trying to get out of responsibility. And to claim that they are not at fault. It would be nice to see if we as a society stepped up and said, You're right. I was wrong. And I'm sorry. I know I am. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Road Less Traveled. I hope you do have a, if not a better understanding of proximate cause, at least a new perspective on how things can just sometimes get a little out of control and that we should all value not only ourselves, but also the people around us because our actions can absolutely (laughs) crash into others. Everything we do, small or big, still affects other people. It might not be as tangential as what just happened with me and these other two cases, but you still leave an imprint on the world. Try to be good. Thanks, guys. Hopefully, I see you on the next episode. Remember to like, share, subscribe, etc. And yeah, thank you for joining me. This has been The Road Less Traveled. Take care.